Welcome to the Big Sky Astrology Podcast with April Elliott Kent and me, producer and co-host Jen Brown. Hey friends, Jen here. Today is June 22nd, 2020. Here to help me parse the planets, as always, is my lovely friend, astrologer April Elliott Kent. How you doing, April? I'm parsing, Jen. I'm parsing. <laughs> Last week I was buffering. Now I'm parsing. <laughs> That's great. How are you? How are you, my friend? I'm doing all right. I'm doing good, all right. Good. How's it going in San Diego? Well, we're sort of between eclipses here, so who knows? We had that big solar one last week, and this week we're sort of in that little limbo period. We're in between land. Right. In purgatory. <laughs> <laughs> yes. We will have one on July 4th. Yeah. We're like something that's fallen into the crack between the cushions on the sofa at this point and just kind of hiding out. Alice in Wonderland. We fell through the looking glass. Yeah. And we are on, on the other side. Well, we're not on the other side yet, but we're getting there. And it's been a pretty intense eclipse season, of course, and now we're dealing with a Mercury retrograde. And Neptune turns retrograde this week, which we'll talk about. Yeah, we're in a funny little limbo period here, I would say. Are you hearing from clients that it's been intense? Yeah, but as we've said, the world itself is pretty intense right now. So people are coping with a lot of really uh, interesting things. But the eclipse has released a lot of energy. I think every time you get an eclipse... The first one in a new set of signs. Which would have been the June 5th one. Right. Was the first one in Gemini Sagittarius. Mm -hmm. Because it's a little bit like breaking ground that's been fallow for a while and it's really hard. (laughs) And you have to get in there and really put some effort into preparing that ground to receive new seeds. Yeah. I think the first one in this series is always kind of hard. So that is where we are at. So all of that Sagittarius symbolism that we've talked about and a little bit of the Gemini things that we have been addressing as well for the last month or so on the podcast really spring forth in riotous bloom over the last couple of weeks. So now we're having an intermission, brief intermission after the big, that final Cancerian solar eclipse. And then we'll go on to uh, a fun-filled July 4th holiday here in the United States with another eclipse. Yeah, and that will be the last one in Cancer Capricorn. Yeah, until 2028, I think, is the next one we have, or at least the next one in Cancer that we have. Okay. So that is what is happening here. And in San Diego, this time of year, we have our lovely June gloom, we call it, where we have the marine layer in the morning, so it's a little bit dark and gloomy and wet and you keep thinking it's going to rain and then by one o'clock you're just ugh, sizzling in the sun. I was telling you I had never heard of that June gloom thing in yeah, San Diego. It's one of our trademarks, one of the things we do. Okay. So that is what is happening here. We have a few things happening on the show sheet this week that are of immense importance. Should we get to it? Let's do it, shall we? <laughs> Since we were saying before we started recording, we've already been chatting for a full hour. Oops, should we record a podcast, we said? Uh, yeah, me as well, almost as an afterthought. Well, the first thing that we have on the show sheet this week in the The first thing that happens chronologically, really, is Neptune turning retrograde. 
on June 22nd at 9.32 p.m. Pacific time, which means everywhere else it's really June 23rd. Right. And can you believe it was episode number one when Neptune turned direct? We really have come 180 degrees, haven't we? Yeah. What did we say about that then? Do you remember? I remembered that we wrote Neptune, the elephant in the room, turns direct. (laughs) (laughs) Something about when an elephant sits down, you really notice it. It's like, boom. Yeah. So that was it turning direct. Mm -hmm. I can't remember. I wish I had re-listened to that episode because... My thinking changes from time to time about the large planets Hmm. as they turn retrograde and they turn direct. Why don't you describe what Neptune, the planet, represents? Yeah. That will be helpful for people. Neptune is always a difficult one to describe with words. How appropriate. Yeah. Its (laughs) symbolism really eludes us verbally. And it's why I suggest to people if Neptune is particularly active in their chart at a given time, to immerse themselves in nonverbal ways of understanding. So people listen to music or do some art or get lost in fiction of some kind. And it's helpful, it seems to open up the part of us that Neptune represents, which is not terribly verbal. It's about the ways we intuit and understand the world in a more magical, almost mystical way. Our sixth sense. Exactly. And the way we feel empathy with other people or, you know, that feeling you get sometimes like when you were in school and you were sitting in a classroom and suddenly you would have this uneasy feeling like someone was looking at you Uh and you'd turn around and somebody would be looking at you in the class. It's that sixth sense of perceiving what isn't necessarily evident to our usual senses. And what it's trying to accomplish, I think, is partially exploring the ways in which we are not separate from each other and we're not separate from the world. We're part of the world. We're part of the people around us. Right. Whereas Saturn is all about boundaries, Neptune pretty much wants to dissolve them. The way I'm seeing it showing up in the world now is the ways in which we are trying to be more sensitive to each other and also worries still about the virus and what's going on around the pandemic. Because Neptune also tells us something about communicable diseases. And as we've been going through this time together over the last few months, we have brought this up a few times when we've talked about Neptune, because a lot of planets have been aspecting Neptune, especially since they have been in um, Pisces and then in Gemini. When Neptune turns retrograde, it's a time to take a planet that already doesn't feel that extroverted and bring it inward. The process of a planet retrograde says... There is the sense that we are living in a way that's out of step with the nature of this planet. And the nature of Neptune is about appreciating the ways in which we are connected to everything and the things that we intuit and that we feel rather than touching and seeing and hearing and all the rest of it, where it kind of heightens those other senses in a way. It has that Pisces quality. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and modern astrologers will assign some rulership of Pisces to Neptune. I still can make the case for Jupiter as the traditional ruler of Pisces for sure. Yeah. But there is a lot of overlap between their territory. So Neptune turning retrograde, and then it will stay retrograde for about six months. It flips back and forth throughout the year. And yeah, I can remember that at the time that we were saying that I really pay attention to these, what we call stations, when it's slowing down to turn backwards or forward. 
of the couple of days around that exact date as being the ones where the presence of the planet seems to be really strongly felt and expressed. So I would say, hey, just look at what's happening around June 21st through the 23rd. Pay attention to what's showing up in the news and in the conversations you have with your friends and your emails and your texts and your social media. See what the big themes are that emerge. I'll bet you'll see a lot of Neptune. We've had a lot of Neptune energy over the past weeks. And so here's more of that Neptune fogginess. The theater example I use is the fog machine on stage, you know. (laughs) It just kind of makes everything otherworldly. It does, and that's beautiful. When we don't see things with such extreme clarity, with a little bit more softness, there's something really beautiful about that. And it's something that I've probably said on the podcast because I find myself saying it a lot and talking about, especially relationship astrology. What's that? Is that it's important to have a little bit of Neptune. Neptune is what lets us believe the best about another person or relate to them and see ourselves in them. Yeah. So there is something beautiful about Neptune. It's the difference here in San Diego between a day that is dazzlingly clear and blue and beautiful as it's been from time to time over the last few weeks, as opposed to a day where you get this specific light that is so characteristic of Southern California that's a little bit soft and hazy. Mm. Some of it might be smog, (laughs) to be honest, (laughs) but some of it is just the quality of the light is very soft. Let's go with the loveliness part of it. I think the loveliness part, and maybe it's because I live within a few, you know, five miles of the ocean and you get that misty, that little bit of mist and haze, you know, and it's not so dazzling and it's beautiful. It is for sure. So that's definitely a way that Neptune shows up. It makes things a little bit prettier and Sometimes that doesn't reflect reality. And sometimes when we come out of a Neptune time or a Neptune relationship or a Neptune anything where we believed one thing was happening and then we realize later that it's something quite different, that disillusionment, Mm -hmm. that's also a side of Neptune. Yeah. With the outer planets like Neptune and Pluto, when they station, that is when it appears that they're standing still, does that station last for days longer? I mean, earlier you mentioned, you know, we'll feel it June 22nd, 23rd, 24th, but because they're the outer planets, does it tend to expand the period of time that we actually experience that station? It probably does, and I don't have a real exact answer for that. Which is perfectly perfect for Neptune. It's a really good question, and that's the thing with transits of the big planets to your chart. I know we've said that before, Mm -hmm. but it comes on gradually. It doesn't just happen on a day. Yeah. And that's why it's a little bit deceptive to say Neptune turns retrograde on June 22nd at 9.32 p.m. Because, yes, okay, technically that's the moment. But it's not like suddenly a whistle blows and we suddenly have this experience. Right. So it's a good question. The answer is probably yes. But beyond that, I can't quantify it. Like I said, that's a perfect answer for Neptune. It is indeed. Let's not quantify it. Well, speaking of things changing direction. Yes. At long last, we have Venus turning direct. Oh, Venus. On June 24th, just before midnight. So again, June 25th everywhere else, really. So Venus has been appearing to move backwards from our perspective here on planet Earth. And she is stationing and turning around. That retrograde period began on May. May 12th and 13th, depending on where you lived. 
And we talked about that in episode 25, the retrograde parade. Yes. But now, yes, it's going direct. And I, for one, am really excited and happy. Let me guess. Let me guess. Because you can get a cat now. I can start looking for cats. Yeah, I was. <laughs> I know we talked about that last week about how because of Venus rules the house of my chart that has to do with small animals, I was holding off to really seriously look for kitties until Venus turns right. So you can imagine my enthusiasm. So do you have a plan in place for kitty finding? Well, these are tricky times for kitty finding. When we got Bodie and Spike, we just went to the county animal shelter and we investigated. We got to see everybody at once and feel the situation out. And they're not quite at that point as we record this anyway yeah. to open up and let everybody in. You have to make an appointment to meet one cat. <sighs> It doesn't work that way, Jen. Well, they have to be smart about how to do it, I guess. They do. They do. And I respect that. But that's part of why I've actually been glad to wait a little while. So hopefully to get a situation that is a little more conducive to the way I like to entertain candidates for a member <laughs> of the family. So, But Venus turning direct, it does so on the Sabian symbol for six Gemini drilling for oil, which is described as being about harnessing or accessing power and powerful resources because it's a drill that goes down into the earth. Which you have to be a little careful about because you don't want an oil spill on your hands. You have <laughs> to be careful about how you go about harnessing that power, right? Yeah, that's actually a really good observation. You don't want to inadvertently harm anything. Mm -hmm. And especially at this time when our quarantine and social distancing have coincided to a great degree with this Venus retrograde period. So there is a whole lot of energy and desire that's been pent up, you know, especially since mid-May. At first, I think we were all kind of in a state of shock and trying to figure out things. And then the month of April was about figuring out how to actually live in these new circumstances. And since Venus has been retrograde in May, I think as spring weather has come on and people have felt a lot more eager to get outside, and be in the light and experience each other socially and all the rest of it. There is a lot of delayed satisfaction. Mm -hmm. And as we drill down in this way, yeah, you're right. You have to be careful with doing everything at once, bringing everything back up at once. Right. But there is treasure down there below the surface. Yeah, because we have spent three months in a very inward state. Right. And Venus retrograde has been part of that because the retrograde planets, as I said, always take us inward into ourselves to find what we value in the case of Venus, to rethink in a lot of ways our relationship with money and finances as well. Because, of course, there are many people that have not had enough money coming in who've had to deal with getting different sources of income. I know in our household, we found a lot of our expenses have gone down yeah. because we're not able to use certain services that we use or eat out as much or whatever it was. So that makes sense. Yeah, we're all recalibrating, I think, with our financial situation. Of course, now we have to all do our taxes, which is like, ah! <laughs> here in the U.S. If you've been putting them off. Yes, yes not that I would do that. <laughs> yeah. So it'll be very interesting seeing this Venus turn direct and for relationships generally. And again, this is not just romantic relationships, but a lot of us have not been able to spend time with our friends in a comfortable way, in the, the accustomed way. Yeah. Maybe we get to start doing a little more of that as Venus is turning direct and figuring out how to really make that work and be satisfying. 
I have a slightly tangential question. Oh, good. My favorite kind. <laughs> the personal planets like Mercury and Venus and Mars, when they go retrograde and someone is born, that means a specific thing in their birth chart, right? You mean if it is retrograde at the time of their birth? Yes, yes. Sure. Yeah. You interpret that differently. Well, definitely. And I will with any given planet, honestly. If I'm doing a lot of work with a client about Saturn, for instance, and I see that their Saturn is retrograde, that definitely says something to me. I'm going to go into it. But it is more characteristic of people born around the same time of them as well. Yeah. So although it's important, it is more likely to be a shared characteristic of an age group that they're in, for instance. So I'll look at it from somewhat that point of view. Okay. But what's also really interesting is to see if a planet moves retrograde or direct after someone's birth within, say, 90 days, because that will show up in their chart in a method we call secondary progressions. Right. So if you were born five days before Venus turned direct, then we know at about the age of five in these secondary progressions, which I won't go into in much detail now, but at about the age of five, you will have that energy in your life of Venus turning direct. Yeah. We'll go into secondary progression someday. Yes, we will. I'm going to do a webinar on that for sure, because it's a really great system. Oh, excellent. So Venus direct. I heard one astrologer, what did he say exactly? He said, when a planet is retrograde in your birth chart, that we absorb the lessons of that planet in an inward way. I would agree with that. And so it's kind of a little bit more difficult initially. But I thought, well, isn't every planet, like, don't you absorb the lessons of every planet in an inward way? So I wasn't sure that made sense. It's certainly how I have described that to people. But the way I will often say it is, you tend to be self-guided in this area of your life. Oh, I like that description better. Yeah. I think if you're a person born, for instance, I always use the example of my Jupiter retrograde in my birth chart, that I never had to be taught what to believe. And I was resistant to being taught from outside what to believe. Because when you come in with Jupiter retrograde, you have your very own strong inward sense of what you believe and what that means. And I think that that's what's difficult about having a retrograde planet in your chart early on. Because early on, we want to fit in and we want to be like people around us, mostly. Sure. So having to reject what you're being told and honor what's really inside you isn't always real easy when you're very young. You don't have that confidence necessarily. Makes sense. Yeah. But I think retrograde planets in the birth chart talk about what we do have to offer others where we tend to be a little more innovative and think outside the box. That's how I would describe it. Yeah. So look at the retrograde planets in your own chart and see if that resonates. I like it. Yes. Okay. And Mars is entering Aries this week. Mars is leaving Pisces to go headfirst, headstrong, <laughs> headed towards Aries. Okay, now let me tell you about that makes me think of speaking of tangential. <laughs> yes. Because I have I have Mars, which is the ruler of Aries. Very strong in my charts, right in the 10th house. And I just flashed on this memory I had of being about five years old. Uh -huh. And we were at my aunt's house for Thanksgiving. And I was in this fantastic swivel chair that they had, which was just so modern and interesting to us. <laughs> my sister was making me spin around and around and around. And I flew out of it, 
head first onto the hearth of their fireplace. Oh, no. And our listeners, it's just explained so much about <laughs> April. They had to call the doctor and interrupt mm. his Thanksgiving dinner to take oh me my and God. get stitches. And I know. Mars, head first. You needed stitches? Yes. Do you have a scar? I have no idea. I've never felt one. Where did you get hit? Where? Here-ish. Uh-huh. Listeners cannot experience that. She's tapping the crown of her head. I am. So this is Aries, right? Yeah. This is a depiction of Mars in Aries. It rules Aries. They have so much in common. And Mars just wants to get things done. And Aries just says, everybody out of my way, this is what we're doing. Mm -hmm. And if you're not careful, you get thrown at first onto the hearth. Thrown out of the chair. Don't spin around too quickly. Yeah. This will be an interesting Mars and Aries period. It commences on June 27th at 6.45 p.m. Pacific time. And it will not leave Aries until January 6th of 2021. That's a really long time. It is a long time. And it's unusual, but it's by no means unprecedented. Okay. About every two years, usually, we will have one of these protracted periods of Mars in a sign because it happens to turn retrograde near the end of the sign, and then it goes retrograde all the way through it and then forward again, and it can easily add up to real time. So that's what's happening this time around. Right. But that's not to say that it isn't significant because it is significant to have Mars in a single sign for so long. Especially with all those planets in Capricorn right now. Yes. Because Mars will be squaring those, which we chatted about last week a little bit. Exactly so. Mars being in Pisces has had its own challenges, and we talked about some of those in episode 25, the retrograde parade. Yes. And we have been talking about Mars and Pisces in every iteration ever since May 12th, but going into Aries is a whole other ball of wax. It was last retrograde in Aries back in 1988, Hmm. between the end of August 1988 and the end of October. That was a long time ago. It was a long time ago, yeah. I mean, it goes retrograde every couple of years. It was last retrograde dead stop in um, June through August of 2018, so it hadn't been that long ago. But in terms of being retrograde in the sign that it rules, Aries, it has been a while. 32 years. 32 years. And... I can remember a lot of exciting things that I was doing at that time in my life, most of which ended up being a bit misguided. (laughs) Some trips I took and some chances that I took and things that were not necessarily super well considered, let's say. I see. Okay. What about you? You were finishing up high school? or I had graduated high school that year, Mm. and I started college exactly during that time Mm. as a freshman in college. Yeah. I was looking at, I ran across an article when I was researching Mars over the weekend, and there was an article on some Time Magazine website or something with a lot of photos from 1988. Mm. And the ones during this period of time were so interesting. One of them was, tragically, a midair collision at an Italian air show. Hmm. There were three planes that collided and about 70 people. Oh, God. I don't remember that. Either were hurt or died. Yeah, I hadn't remembered it either. But it was within a couple of days of Mars turning retrograde Hmm. in Aries. And we, we associate both Mars and Aries with daring feats. Sure. Yeah. So that was tragic. There was also a really interesting item that jumped out at me about Michael Dukakis, who was the Democratic candidate for president. Half the listening audience is going, who? 
going, yeah, right. <laughs> and the rest are going, oh, Olympia Dukakis had a brother. But there was an interesting picture of him sitting in the cockpit of some fighter plane or something in there. And the caption was something about how he was trying to refute the reputation he had for being soft on defense. Hmm, okay. And I liked that as a metaphor for Mars retrograde in Aries. Because we would think of Mars in Aries as favoring a strong warrior. And the retrograde is like, oh, anyone who is kind of less that way, less overt in that direction. Mm -hmm. It was just interesting. It was something that he was feeling he had to fight against. Yeah. It wasn't coming from him organically. It was rather something, a, a role that he felt that he had to play of being especially ferocious. He never struck me as very ferocious. No, exactly. <laughs> Nobody was fooled at all. So I don't know. I just thought that was kind of interesting. And we will deal with Mars in Aries in its own sign for a good long time. Yes, we will. And if you have anything in your chart that's in the cardinal signs, Aries, Cancer, Libra, or Capricorn, this could be a particularly strenuous six-month period from time to time of having to decide what to go after and what to leave alone, how to choose your battles wisely, and especially during that retrograde time, yeah, which is not till September. It's September 9th through November 13th. That's an intensive period. Yeah, and I guess if anybody knows their chart and they have Mars and Aries, they would be having their Mars return. Yeah, sometime during that six-month period. Which I guess would happen more than once, likely. You'd probably have three hits of it. Just what everybody wants, three Mars returns. <laughs> now, finally, this week, <gasps> guess what it is? <laughs> Moonwatch. <laughs> it's Moonwatch. Play it, Jen. Well, here we are. Here we are. <laughs> this week, we have a first quarter moon in Libra on June 28th at 1.16 a.m. Oh, lovely Libra. What can you tell us about this moon, April? Well, I was telling you before we started recording how much I love the Sabian symbols for the sun and the moon at this first quarter. Yes. The moon itself is on the Sabian symbol for 8 Libra, which is a blazing fireplace in a deserted home. Which we've talked about before. We have. It is one of my favorites because it speaks of even if there is emptiness, even if there is no one around, there is a hearth with a blazing mm. fireplace that hopefully does not have pint-sized April flying onto it head first with the Mars in Aries. Right, exactly, in a spinny chair. Yes, so blazing fireplace, so warming, so convivial. And we think of a blazing fireplace just sitting there waiting for us to gather around it in fellowship. Oh, in fellowship. I'm so glad you pulled fellowship into that. Always. Because the last time we talked about the sign was on Valentine's Day. Oh, was it? Yeah. Venus was squaring the nodes, and that would have been episode 12, Mercury retrograde, where are my pants? <laughs> For radio faith, <laughs> which we can never invoke without laughing. Classic title. Yeah, and we talked about a T-square formation in that episode, and the empty leg of the table would have been there on 8 Libra, a blazing fireplace in a mm. deserted home. So did we talk about 8 Degrees Cancer, rabbits dressed in clothes and on parade? We did not. Because that is the Sabian symbol the sun is at on this first quarter moon. <laughs> There's nothing I like better. Anthropomorphic bunnies. <laughs> There's nothing better for me. 
And people will see it in my artwork and my collages. I'll often throw a rabbit in there. I just love them. Oh, that's so funny. I think they're so great. And these are dressed in clothes and they're on parade. So whimsical. So cute. So they're on show. They're for show. Yeah. It is putting on, well, I mean, I was going to say putting on the dog, but that's really confusing our metaphors at that point. But yeah, it is about perhaps presenting yourself in a way that's not terribly authentic. Right. So those are the symbols that we have at this first quarter moon. And within the chart, we also have a sextile of Mars with Saturn. Mm -hmm. So at least from the moment that Mars goes into Aries, it makes a nice, friendly, supportive sextile aspect to Saturn in Aquarius. It may seem that we're entering a difficult time with Mars. And I think in many ways we will be. But since it begins on the sextile to Saturn, it says, but at the end of it, you can have built something. There is the opportunity to have really made things demonstrably better in some way. Hmm. So I like that. That's a lovely way to look at it. Yeah, it's a good place to start from. And we talked about that a little bit last week when we were talking about the aspects that Mars was making, the sextiles to Jupiter and Pluto. And it was a similar idea of using that opportunity to really have conversations, to get more clarity about what we want to accomplish. Because as Mars goes into Aries, as you pointed out then, it does make the hard aspects Mm -hmm. to Jupiter and Pluto and I guess probably, yes, Saturn as well. Yes, I think it might be September when they square, if I remember correctly. That makes sense, because that's about the time that Saturn will be stalling out in late Capricorn, getting ready to move once more into Aquarius at the end of the year, and Mars will probably have caught up at that point. Yeah. For now, at least, we have a sextile. Nice. So that's good news for this week and for our first quarter moon. A first quarter moon is always about... Being at the point where we're getting ready to actually take some action in the pursuit of something important to us. The new moon is where we start to formulate and we plant the seeds. We had that last week at the eclipse. How do we want to parent ourselves more effectively going out into the world? And how do we want to care for others? And all of this Cancerian imagery. The first quarter moon in Libra says it's time to actually do it. And we don't have to do it alone, which is nice. Cancer is a very insular sign. It tends to really focus its attention on on the people very close to it. Yeah. Libra is where we encounter the larger community. Mm-hmm. And so maybe we bring people closer to us and more into our fold. Yeah. So I like this first quarter moon. And it's blazing fireplace waiting for all of us to sit around it and the whimsical little rabbits dressed in clothes. So maybe something fun will happen. It delights me, that symbol. I like animals in clothes. They look cute. <laughs> but that, I think I'm just hungry for animals of any kind at this point. So that's what we're really looking at here. Well... That is everything on our show sheet. Have we done it? We've done it. Episode 31. Yay! (laughs) 31. That was a good age. Remember 31? I do. What was happening for you at 31? I got married when I was 31. Oh, that's lovely. I was almost 32, but yeah, that was a good year. How about you? 31? Don't remember what was happening. Nothing. Ah, Jen. I mean, you know, it was a good year. You must have been having a Neptune transit. You just don't remember it. (laughs) 
<laughs> well, thank you all for spending some of your Neptune transits listening to the Big Sky Astrology podcast. We appreciate you. We do. And we very much hope that you enjoy listening to the podcast. And we hope that you are subscribed in iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you listen so you don't miss any of our scintillating episodes. You can read show notes and full transcripts and leave your comments about each episode by going to our website, BigSkyAstropod.com. And we hope that you will help us spread the word. We hope that you will leave a rating and review on iTunes or wherever you listen. Tell a friend about the podcast. Share it in your social media. However, you can help us get the word out. We very much appreciate it. And we really enjoy your kind words and the lovely reviews that you have been writing for us. So keep them coming. It really helps us to, what, April? Helps us to... No, I, I was that faced in me anything. I love it. It's kind of the whole point. Why would we be doing this if people weren't out there listening? Mm -hmm. And so we like to know that you're there and we love to hear from you. So thank you. You. We do love to hear from you. And something else to keep coming, if you're enjoying the podcast, it would help us out greatly if you could kick in a little money to support the show. Just go to BigSkyAstropod.com and kick in as much or as little as you'd like to help us out. It's so much appreciated. We do have some pod pals who are committed to helping us out each month. It's so helpful and nice. It is. And it's helpful to know that we have enough coming in to pay our outgoing expenses for the month. And so we very much appreciate it. Yeah. Well, join us again bright and early next Monday morning. And until then, keep your feet on the ground and your eyes on the stars. Thank you for listening. To learn more about April Elliott Kent, please check out her website, BigSkyAstrology.com, where you can sign up for her newsletter, read her thought-provoking weekly essays, purchase her books, sign up for a personal astrology reading, and more. That's all for today. If you like what you're listening to, please take a moment to rate and review this podcast and hit subscribe to stay current with new episodes. You can follow Big Sky Astrology on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Big Sky Astrology. Thanks again for joining us, and we'll catch you next time. Mm -hmm.